control. Okay, people, um, as you know, it's uh, Graham Moore, and I have with me uh, Dr. Bill Woolner. Um, again, I consider Dr. Bill Woolner as uh, an expert in Islam. Um, he is a, a, a lovely gentleman that's got a lot of information about Islam. I would consider him to be the world's expert uh, in the West of um, this ideology. So again, Bill, I'd just like to, uh, for you to introduce yourself and say hello to the audience. Well, I'm, first, I'm delighted to be here because we're going to talk about my favorite subject. And what is my favorite subject? Political Islam. And I've been at the study of Islam for decades. I started my study of Islam when I was 30 years old, and I'm 78 now, so that was a long time ago. And I became interested in Sufism. It was introduced to me as mystical Western mysticism. So I was very fascinated by that I, and uh, studied it for about a year. And there were some things about it that were very attractive, but there were also some things about it that were like some dark shadows in the corners. And those dark shadows I, I didn't have words for, but now that I know those shadows were Sharia and Jihad. So I drifted away from it. And then I was a, uh, later became a college professor and I had many students who were Muslims. And so if you have someone you want to really communicate with, I think it's good to know what their religion is. And besides that, they were very clear that their religion was very important to them. So I talked a great deal with Muslims in my office. I mean, they tried to convert me and, and I would talk to them about Islam. So then I began to realize that these people were nice, but there was something behind them. And so I, that what was behind them is the doctrine of Islam. So I sat down this time, I'd read the Quran in bits and pieces, but this time I read it from front to back. Then I read the life of Muhammad and then I went, whoa, we have a problem here. And then on September 11, 2001, when I saw the second plane hit the second tower, I said, it is jihad, Islam is here. And I knew that I lived in a nation that knew nothing about Islam at all. They couldn't even answer the question, what is Islam? So I decided I would devote myself to bringing to the world at large the doctrine of Islam based on the foundational text in a form that anyone could read. My audience when I write is not for a college graduate, but for a truck driver or a plumber or a high school student. That is, I write for the common man. So anyway, that's a little background about me and what I do. Well, thanks for that, Bill. I mean, so let me just tell people, I am one of those common people that you refer to. Everything that I know about Islam, I have learned from you. Uh, and let me express this, Bill, I'm grateful um, for your communication skills, which is a God-given skill, and the amount of time and effort that you have put in to structuring this information so people can absorb it. People like me can understand exactly uh, what we're up against. Um, just to give you a brief as well, there's a book out there by General um, Michael Flynn, um, and in that book, he describes... Islam and he goes into detail as a military intelligence professional um, and again uh, that man pulls no punches in that book and tells you how dangerous they are and he actually says if you don't understand your enemy you're gonna lose and he will yeah no I agree so the next thing I'm gonna say to you briefly um, I always express to people as much as I possibly can, that Muslims are victims of an ideology, almost of a cult. 
They are victims, not of Allah or God, but of Muhammad. And you just mentioned um, the um, biography of and the, and the life of Muhammad. Do you refer to that as the Sunnah of Muhammad? Yes. The, the, the Arabic word for a biography is Sirah. And then there's another term called Sunnah, which is how he led his life. Right. So they both, the Sunnah, the Sirah, the biography is part of the Sunnah, how he led his life. There's another part. There's two parts to the Sunnah. There's the Sirah, which is his biography, and it's a fascinating read. And then there are the traditions, his Hadith. So Hadith and Sirah make up the Sunnah. Right. Uh, we, we've given the audience a brief lesson in some Arabic nouns. <laughs> By the way, all Arabic speakers tell me, Bill, you butcher the language so badly. It's, I mean, right. <laughs> the pronunciations are something like that. So, so let me express this as well. Some people have no interest in reading the Quran, uh, basically because it is not the Bible. It is also very confusing um, in the way that it jumps from, from different eras, from uh, Mecca to Medina and, and, and all the other references to it. If they was to read uh, the Sirah or the Sunnah, would you regard that as a different type of read? That, that you're then getting an insight into the man, Muhammad? I tell people, if you want to study Islam, do not, whatever you do, do not pick up a Quran. Right. Instead, read the life of Muhammad, his biography. Then read his traditions. Right. After you've read the biography of Muhammad and you've read his traditions, now then when you read the Quran, it will all make perfect sense particularly if you take the Quran and put it in the right time order. So I published three different Qurans. They're just different in length. And what I do is I've taken the original Quran, put it in the right time sequence, then grouped the common subjects together, and then I integrated Muhammad's life into it. Now, there's no confusion between Muhammad and Allah because one's in one font and one's in the other. But once you know what Muhammad is doing, you see that the, the Quran is always solving Muhammad's problems. So when you read it in the right way, it becomes very clear what is going on. But the Quran that you get at the bookstore, whatever you do, don't pick that up and start reading it until you know who Muhammad is. Yep. So that's, that's my advice for how to learn Islam. And that is extremely good advice. Uh, again, I've seen many of your videos. But talking about videos, if you don't mind, I'm going to share uh, a Twitter um, um, tweet today that that shows someone in England, in fact, Wales, sorry, Wales, um, and they are talking about Islam and Islamophobia and the fact that uh, a jihad is, um, or a, a hijab is a, um, if you refer to it in a negative way, you are being, um, or, or, or being Islamophobic in some way. Right. So, let me just see if I can share this with you. And I'm hoping it's on the screen. Share the screen. Uh, the definition says Islamophobia is rooted in racism and is type of racism that targets expression yeah. of Muslimness and our perceived Muslimness. And I think we have to differentiate between the freedom of speech and freedom of hate and bigotry. The definition, it's clear. It doesn't say that you cannot criticize Islam, you cannot criticize uh, expression or parts of the faith. No, the freedom of speech is a dear value that needs to be protected and is part of our British
British way of life, but we have to make a clear distinction between freedom of spe speech and freedom of bigotry. What we are saying in this definition that is endorsed by Muslim Council of Wales, by many Muslim organizations and over 80 uh, academic, what, what they're mm. suggesting is that we need to tackle Islamophobia in its different forms that include the cultural forms, the so sociological forms and so on. Right. So when someone cannot get a job because of her name or his name, yeah, that's this is Islamophobia. That's already, out, that's already outlawed. I wanted to, because you, you haven't answered my question, so I want to come back to it because the definition is that it's expressions of Islamophobia is about expressions of attacking expressions of Muslimness. So I come back again. If people attack the wearing of the niqab or other or, or the extension of Sharia law, is that Islamophobia? It is Islamophobia if you are spreading false information and misconception. No, no. It I, is Islamophobia I, if is you Islamophobia are. It's Islamophobia to say that people should not wear what you're wearing. Is it or not? Islamophobia, it, it's if you are saying, if you are attacking me and saying that I am a letterbox and a bank robber, this is Islamophobia. If you are saying, you know what, I don't agree with your choice of wearing the face veil, I would protect your right to express it. But so it's the way we, that you say it. You said uh, the Islamophobia is rooted. I'm not going to uh, rerun that. So, Bill, um, would, you, would you give your opinion on, on what you just heard there? Well, oddly enough, I, I agree with her. And by that, I do not attack Muslims. I don't attack their Muslimness. Instead, what I deal is, let's give an example of how I deal with this. She's wearing a niqab, which is a face mask, and she has her hair covered, which is a hijab. Now then, Here's what I see when I see the hijab. I see a, the banner of Sharia. That is, I see someone who is saying by their manifestation, I follow the Sharia. Now then, why do I care if you're following the Sharia or not? Well, let's open the Sharia and take a look at it. In the Sharia, I am a Kafir. I'm a non-Muslim and I am subjugated politically. We need to understand that in the Sharia, which is, I have a text right up here I can see on my shelf, that only about a third of it is about religion. The two thirds of the Sharia text, such as Reliance of the Traveler, is about how to run a civilization. And in that civilization, I, as a non-Muslim, am supposed to be a dhimmi, D-H-I-M-M-I. And by that, I am supposed to be subjugated and not have full political rights in the Sharia state. So the more Sharia there is, the less freedom that I have. The more Sharia there is, the more that I am seen as the enemy of God, because that's one of the expressions for the, for the Kafir is yep. I'm the enemy of God. So when I see someone in this garb, I see someone who's espousing a political philosophy which has the goal of subjugating me and changing my civilization. I object to that. I don't object to who the lady is. I, I, well, I, haven't, I could say I've never even really seen her since I've only seen her eyes. Don't know why I, I don't remember her name. I have no objection to the woman at all. What I object to is the doctrine of political Islam and political Islam I define to be the part of Islam that affects me and the non-Muslim. So therefore, I have a dog in this fight, to use an American expression, and that dog in the fight is my freedom of expression and my individuality, which are supposed to be subjugated under the Sharia. So that's when I see the Sharia, when I see the head covering, I see Sharia, and I see someone who's advocating my subjugation. I object to that. 
I object to that whether I'm in England, I object to that whether I'm in the United States or Australia or even Saudi Arabia. So that's how I see that business about the, so I kind of agree with her about Islamophobia because I'm not interested in attacking her as a person at all. Well, thank you for that, Bill. That's a, a good comments. What, what about what she said with um, you can um, referencing non-Muslims um, criticize Islam or even Muslims can criticize Islam? What would, what would well, you I would hope that? we could because otherwise we would have the one concept of political ideas in the world that could not be talked about and discussed. I'm a rational man. I'm a trained scientist with a lot of work in mathematics. I believe in fact-based reasoning. And so that's what I use and do. And so I'm all for that. But now this does mean we have to read and have the facts at hand. I, am, I also am not for the subjugation of Muslims or anything else. I don't discuss Muslims because they're people. I just call the discussion of Muslims what I call Muslimology. It's like a sociological study. And you can do political science, you can do surveys and stuff, but you're talking about people. What I talk about is Islam. Islam is the doctrine found in the Quran, the Sirah, the Hadith. So that's what I talk about. I talk about those three books. I don't talk about people at all. And I recommend that everyone else do this too, because you'll meet a lot of nice Muslims. I've met a lot of nice Muslims, had them as students, but that's not what I'm about. What I'm about is what they say they believe in. I want to talk about what they believe in, which is the doctrine of Islam. All right. So again, um, this is about a trilogy. It's not just about the Quran. Three books. And you and remember, read these books in this order. First start with the Sirah, then read the Hadith, and then read the Quran. Yeah. If you'll do that, it'll all make sense. And then make up your own mind. You may say, well, you know, I've read all this about Muhammad, and I read that he committed 95 acts of jihad in the last nine years of his life and subjugated all the Arabian Peninsula. You may like that. I don't like that, but you may do it. But I first say you need to accommodate yourself to the knowledge of what it actually is. Mm. And that includes Muhammad having 95 acts of jihad. Mm. Well, again, uh, I'm, uh, even this conversation is educating people in pointing to the right direction. Let me just show you. Um, well, first of all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up on the screen, hopefully, uh, if it don't, the other thing don't kick in, I'm going to bring up your website, um, and where is it? There it is. Touch, would you, can you see that, uh, Bill? I know that man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So this is the website. This is uh, politicalislam.com. Um, again, it's up there on the screen for anyone to see it. It's obvious what it's about. Uh, Political Islam has subjugated civilizations for 1400 years. If That's you want to, exactly, and let me tell you, uh, Bill, um, this website is not only structured well, uh, easily navigated. The video, uh, some people learn by visual expressions, by talking rather than reading from books. You've got both on here. Um, which again is, is, is a really good um, uh, learning tool for anyone who really wants to understand. You've also got press kit, bio, bookstore, um, everything really that you need on this website is on there. Featured articles, uh, Gravity of Muhammad, everything is on there that anyone would want to need. So what I basically want people to know is that you 
can go onto this website, click on this website and educate yourselves. If you're living in a village, town, um, local district, wherever in the United States of America, at least study this website and then you can be prepared to tell others that it is not what you think it is. It is not what they think it is, which is more important. So again, I'm just going to bring that down for a second and then I'm going to refer back to a particular book and I'm going to ask you some questions about this book. I'll tell you for why, because it's definitely had, in my view, an impact. So can you tell us why you wrote this book, how long the book is? I believe it's 52 pages. Yes, so I've got a copy. Um, and, and just go through the structure of it. Well, I was uh, lobbying a bill in, I live in the Nashville, Tennessee, and the state legislature is here, the state legislature of Tennessee. And I was lobbying a bill that had to do with Sharia. And I began to realize as I'm talking to these senators and legislators that they don't know Sharia from, from sunshine. Yep. <clears throat> so I said to myself, because as the more I talked with these legislators, I realized that they had many demands on their time. And I said to myself, I'm going to write a book on Sharia, which they know nothing about, and I'm going to make it such that anyone can read it, the bus driver, a legislator, a senator, or whoever. And I decided that since everyone is convinced that Islam is like, Oh, so hard to understand. You have to be a genius and hold a PhD in Middle Eastern studies and be an Arabist. I decided I wanted something that would seduce the reader by being very small. And so I went, I called up my printer and I said, how many pages are in one eighth of one inch? Now, do they still use inches in Great Britain? Well, technically we can be arrested for that, but uh, no. <laughs> well, well, I hope you don't get arrested. <laughs> If you're not, that's how insane it is here. Go on. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to write a book that was so thin, it would seduce the reader into thinking, well, I can read this. But then I wanted it to be very fact-based. I once told somebody, you can read this book in less than a half hour. They said, you cannot remotely read this book in a half hour because what happens is you read one paragraph and you go, oh, my word. <laughs> oh, my word. I this agree. This is God's law. This is what Islam purpose in life is is to they have a personal point of view of going to heaven and avoiding hell but the other one is is that they want to have everyone live under the sharia so if they're going to have us live under sharia why don't we take and show them what the sharia is and i don't think that most people will care much for it as a matter of fact there are many muslims who don't want all of sharia but anyway i wanted to make this very readable let me i'm gonna stand up here and just for the camera just a second well, I'm not either. I, my microphone cord has caught me. I want to show you the original text. I think I've made static noises here. Yep, go on. We apologize for technical difficulties. <laughs> but anyway, the book that this is condensed of is about this thick and it's called The Reliance of the Traveler. Right. So, again. And by the way, I've sold tens of thousands of these books. Well, again, I commend you for that. Um, I've sent. Uh, a number of these books to uh, cabinet ministers um, in the UK government. And um, by the way, if you deal with politics at all, don't you think that everyone who is an elected official in the West should read a book? If you don't read this one, read one like it. You need to understand what the Sharia is because 
people in America want to say, well, you know, Islam, it's, it's like Christianity and Judaism, only it's a little different. No, it's not like them at all. And I think well, if you're going to be a legislator or a politician, you need to understand what's in this book because whether you want to understand it or not, you are in the book because you're a non-believer. Okay, so there's a number of elements to this. I'm seeing if I can skip through it to, to find what is Sharia. Um, without going through the whole, uh, the whole chapter, uh, again, just, just let people know what Sharia is. Right. I'm, I'm going to find another video for you, uh, which I think you're going to be quite shocked at. Well, I think you've probably already seen it. Uh, and then I'm going to ask your opinion of that as well. All right. First off, sure, we need to understand something. Islam is not a religion. Let me repeat that again. Islam is not a religion. It is a complete way of life, a total civilization. It includes the religion, but it is much more than a religion. I, there are, we've already established that Islam is the doctrine found in the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith. If you go through the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith, and you divide everything up into, is this about being a Muslim or is this about being a Kafir, a non-Muslim, you will discover, oddly enough, that half the text, 51% about it, is not how to go to heaven and avoid hell, which is what I call a religious purpose, but instead deals with the political part of dealing with a civilization, how insurance should be handled, how money's to be loaned, how wills are to be made, what is the proper way to bury. So there are... Muslims see that it is a complete way of life. So and if it is, Islam is a complete way of life, then it has to be ruled by God. And God is seen as speaking in the Quran. So Islam does, views the kind of legislature that we have here in America and what you, you have in England based on Magna Carta. They see that as man-made law and is inferior and really kind of disgusting. Because why would you want man-made law if you could have God's law? So let's go back to the point Islam is not a religion. You will find that when you read the Quran, the Sirah, the Hadith, that everything is regulated. How to go to the bathroom, how to have sex, what to name your children, uh, what kind of food to eat, uh, what to do about war, what to do about insurance, what to do about health. There is no aspect of being a human being that is not included in the Sharia. Clothing to be worn, what kind of medicine can be practiced. So Going back to the Sharia is God's law, and it is the law of an entire civilization. It's to be run to things that more than we consider law to be. For instance, it covers telling jokes. Well, I don't think that UK or America has ever got around yet to saying much about what kind of jokes. Well, maybe they are telling us what kind of jokes. You know, hmm. We may be becoming more Sharia compliant than I think. It used to be in America that you could tell any kind of joke you wanted to. But Islam has a set of rules about what you can tell jokes about, and one of them is you better not tell a joke about Muhammad. Yeah, yeah. You better not tell a joke about Muhammad. And part of that was because he was mocked in um, originally in Mecca. Yes. And, and I understand that he murdered the people that mocked him. When he took over, when he came back to Mecca to, to uh, take over Mecca, he issued five death warrants. These death warrants considered were, were for apostates and people who had mocked or criticized him. There were some dancing girls who used to do skits and poems and, and dances about denigrating Muhammad. They were on the death, they were on the death list. So you could not, she, the lady here said in the, remember the woman, the niqab, and she said that you can say anything you want to. Well, you really can't. You better not criticize Muhammad. But, so what I do is, by the way, I never, ever criticize Muhammad. 
let's go back earlier. I said he committed 95 acts of jihad in the last nine years of his life yeah. in Medina. Do I criticize him for doing that? No. Do I say he was wrong for doing that? No. I just say he did it. Do you see the difference? Yeah. He married Aisha when she was six and consummated the marriage when she was nine. Full stop. I don't go any further than that. That is a fact. And I, I let the audience draw their own conclusions. I never denigrate Muhammad. I never mock Muhammad. I never tell jokes about Muhammad. Instead, I just say, we wasn't what he did. Mm. So that is, that is my method. It's, if you think about it, rather scientific. You listen to all the numbers I spew at people. 95 acts of jihad, last nine years of his life. This is my method. I use objective fact-based reasoning. Well, again, you've come on to statistics. I'm going to show you this video in a couple of minutes. There's two other things that I want to cover. One is the statistics of anti-Semitism ah. and anti-Kafar. But anti-Semitism, and there's a particular statistic uh, in relation or in comparison with Mein Kampf. Yes. I'd love to, please explain that. Okay, are you going to put, can you put the graph on the screen? Um, let me see if I can find it again. Two seconds. Um, do you know, I'm going to ask you the question you wrote the book. Do you know where it is in the book, chapter? <laughs> no, I don't. I, uh, we, we, can, we can talk without it. Go on. If you, you, if you can, uh, let's have a quick look and see if I can find it. Women. Um, Family law. Oh. The Kaffir. One more thing and we'll have it. One more. And we go to. We should have Jew hatred here. There we go. You did. Oh, it. well done that, man. Let's, let's look at this very carefully. This is anti-Jewishness in the trilogy. The trilogy is Quran, Sirah Hadith. But what are we looking at here? We see that in Mecca, Let's a brief story. We need to understand Muhammad's life. Muhammad preached the religion of Islam for 13 years in Mecca and converted about 150 people. Right. He, they drove him out of Mecca and he went to Medina, whereupon he became a politician and a jihadist. And this, say, this is stated very clearly in the Sirah, the life of Muhammad. But when he died after committing 95 acts of jihad, he converted all the Arabs on the peninsula. So therefore, it was successful made by jihad and now let's go back to there's a story here when he told the story of he was being a prophet in mecca he said i'm in the lineage of the jewish prophets because if you're if you're a middle-aged businessman as soon as god is talking to you you need to explain to people how do you fit this into your life well he said i'm part of the same lineage as moses and david and solomon and the other jewish prophets so they said okay muhammad you're like a prophet like the jews have this is in mecca now, what we see is in Mecca, the Quran written in Mecca, it's mostly praises Jews, but at the last year of the that he was there, there's some Jew hatred that creeps into the text. So that accounts for the 1% of anti-Jewish texts in Mecca. Yeah. Now, let's go to Medina. 17% of the Quran written in Medina is filled with Jew hatred. 17%. In the Sirah, 12% of it, the life of Muhammad is devoted to Jew hatred. 8.9% of the Hadith are about Jew hatred. So in the trilogy, Quran, Sir Hadith, 9.3% of it is devoted to Jew hatred. Now, what's the gold standard of Jew hatred? I say it's Mein Kampf. Yeah. You've probably never met many people who actually read Mein Kampf. No. I find it's one of those books everybody's heard about and nobody's yeah, yeah. read. 7% of the 
of Mein Kampf is devoted to Jew hatred, whereas 9.3% of the Quranic, of the doctrine of Islam is devoted to Jew hatred. So there is more Jew hatred in the Quran, Sirah Hadith than there is in Mein Kampf. I find this to be a fascinating fact, and I also find it fascinating that no one seems to know this. Although I think some in, there in Europe are beginning to get the idea that Muslims, by and large, do not like Jews. And the reason is, Muhammad, well, Allah says in the Quran that Jews are apes and pigs. That's not a nice thing to say. No. Well, again, just to, just to uh, come back to that, was you aware um, that on the bestsellers list in Arabic countries is um, Mein Kampf, written yes. in Arabic? Yes. And, 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 and the, protocols, the, elders, the Protocol of the Elders of Zion. That's yeah. another big selling book. So, again, just to, just to let you know this, or, or, or let the audience know this, was you aware that Hitler uh, gave the Mufti of Jerusalem, who, by the way, it was the British who put him in, in, into, into a position of power in Palestine at the time, um, was you aware that Hitler gave him the printing presses in Arabic to print Mein Kampf? I did not know that, but I'm not surprised. Which it is a best-selling book to this day in, in Arabic countries. Right. Well, th the next thing I'll say to you, was you aware um, that the Mufti of Jerusalem was also one of the people behind a number of potential genocides? But this he is precisely was... true. I read a book one time, a definitive book on the SS. It oh. was one of these books that... Uh, 20% of the book are the notes, end notes at the end of the back of the book, very factually based. When the persecution of the Jews started in Germany, the ideal was not, according to the records of the SS, to yeah, kill them. Exactly. Their, their goal was to ship them out to the Middle East, actually. That was their first idea. We'll just ship them to the Middle East. They'll be happy there. The Middle East will be happy. We won't have them around. Well, the Mufti of Jerusalem didn't like the idea of bringing the Jews to Jerusalem, and he said, there's another way to do this business. And he told him the story of how Muhammad dealt with the Jews of Medina. Yeah. Let's cover the story of the Jews of Medina very quickly. When Muhammad moved to Medina from Mecca, there were three Jewish tribes who composed half of the population of the city of Medina. Two years later, they were all gone. They were completely annihilated. They'd been driven out, enslaved, executed. And so the Mufti of Jerusalem said, if you need to deal with the Jews, Hitler, this is the way to do it. This is the way Muhammad did it. And so this came the eye from the, from the Mufti of Jerusalem came the idea who got the same idea from Muhammad as to what to do with the Jews. Now, the thing I find most appalling about this is, is that very few Jews want to pay any attention to the facts that I've just given you. But then again, they're no better than the Christians. I find that both Christians and Jews want to bury their head in the sand and not pay any attention to this. Instead, what they want to do, religious leaders want to go to a bridge building interfaith gathering where they submit themselves to the Muslims. So I thought when I brought forth all these facts that there would be a big push to, for people to understand and use them. What I find is, is that by and large, most people do not want to know what I know. They're like, nah, 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 I can't hear you, nah, nah, I can't read you. Why do they do that? Because if you do read it, and people have a suspicion of what I, that this material is in there, you'll discover that you're living in a world which is not the world you want to be living in. Yep. So I find that people find comfort and bliss in being ignorant. 
And we have an expression in America, if ignorance is bliss, these people are well blistered. Well, this, this is, uh, even now, I'm still, I'm still learning from you. Um, can I ask you a question? Was you aware, seeing as we were talking about the Nazis, Mein Kampf, Hitler, etc., and the SS, was you aware that there were two Nazi divisions um, staffed entirely by Mohammedans, um, yes. the 13th and the 21st Division? Yes. And that they was identical then to what ISIS are doing now. And where is it that Bukhur, Haran, ISIS, and the 13th and 21st Division of the Waffen SS got their instructions from? Well, they got their instructions straight from Muhammad. The people want to say Islamic State is not Muslim, is not really Islamic. Let me tell you, as a man who has read the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith daily for decades, Islamic State, and by the way, the head of Islamic State is uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, and he has a PhD from Al-Azhar University in Islamic Studies. So don't tell me this man doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, no. Yep. And so what they do is they used to, their magazine was called The Beak, as I recall. It was an internet magazine. And for instance, they did brilliant articles on sex slaves. The best article I've ever read on sex slavery based on the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith comes from Islamic State. Their work is impeccable. They write class A papers. So Islam, through the Islamic State, stands up and shouts as loud as they can, this is the truth of Islam. And what do the politicians in America go? We can't see you, we can't hear you. Oh, that's not Islam. I know a Muslim and he says that's not real. Well, I know a Muslim too and his name is Muhammad. And he says it is real. So Islamic State is a pure manifestation of the doctrine of Islam, along with Al-Qaeda, Boko Haram, uh, and all the many others, Muslim Brotherhood. And by the way, the Muslim Brotherhood is far more dangerous to our civilization than Islamic State and uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Bill, I, I absolutely 100% agree with that statement you just made. And I have prayed that someone would acknowledge it. And now the United States of America have acknowledged it by making them a terrorist organization. You mean Muslim Brotherhood? They haven't done that yet. It's being talked about. Right. Well, I think they're but about... It is. Let, me, let, me, let, me, let me praise Muhammad. Right, go on. Muhammad invented a new form of war. This form of war is a civilizational war. The United States has proved itself to be a genius at mechanical war. If you will present yourself as an army on the battlefield, we will crush you. Mm. But that's the end of our military ability. When it comes to fighting other forms of war, for instance intellectual forms of war, our military will not ask this, answer this question. Who is our enemy and what do they believe? Yeah. Our military will not believe that. One of the reasons they won't believe that is, is Islam advances its pressure of doctrine, not just through war, bang, 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 but through other things. Let me give you a trivial example. My daughter lives in Chicago and the school board issued, came home with a, every kid came home with a piece of paper that says, you can't have marshmallows or gummy bears at school anymore. Marshmallows and gummy bears. Why? Well, you see, they contain pork products. And the Muslim Brotherhood has sat down with the Board of Education in, in Illinois and stated, 
we, these are haram, they're forbidden in diet, we don't want them in the schools at all. So therefore, every Kafir child, every non-Muslim child has to submit themselves to the Sharia of demanding no pork products. Mm. Now this may seem, well, that's a small item. Well, then we come, we stay in school and we find out that the textbooks are being rewritten to elevate Islam. So everything from the hijab, scrubbing for surgery, there was a case in Scotland, I do not know how this was resolved, in which Muslim nurses objected to washing their arms up to their elbows for surgery because it was indecent. Well, in my United States, if they presented with that, that is a form of civilizational war, which says your civilization must become Sharia compliant. They'll do it. So a war is being fought as a war of ideas, a civilizational war. And Muhammad was the greatest warrior who ever lived because no one dies today for Napoleon, Alexander the Great, or Julius Caesar. But someone died today because of Muhammad because he created an entire new form of war in which military form was the smallest part of it. So, Almost an uncontrollable virus. Yes. But it can be... Here's, here's what drives me crazy. It's very easily defeated if you're just willing to engage it on an intellectual basis. Yeah, I agree. Instead, what they're trying to do is they're trying to create this, this Islamophobia which says, well, if you don't agree with a Muslim, then you're a bigot, a racist, a hater, and we'll come take your kids away, we'll see that you're fired from your job, we'll send you to prison or whatever. We're seeing the destruction of freedom of speech because there is no freedom of speech in Islam. Sharia does not allow it. There's a few- I, by the way, think that's one of the most important qualities of being a citizen is to be able to say what you want to about your government. Yeah. Well, you've made so many good points, Bill, but I've got to just say this. I'm going to make these two comments. And I want people to be aware of something. Islam is almost pushing, and if you read General Flynn's book, it's very similar to communism. Yes. Islam is pushing and using political correctness, which communism and Marxism, and I want people to listen because there is a point to this, yeah? And where they use Marxism and political correctness to stop you having freedom of expression and freedom of thought, the two things are sliding together. That is where it becomes very dangerous. But I just want to say this, Bill. You've mentioned pork. In Islam, they say nobody can eat pork. In Judaism, they say Jews can't eat pork. Right. Big difference. Massive difference. As a matter of fact, there's, there's really, when people say that Sharia is like uh, British, uh, not British, Catholic canon law, or like halakha, which is Jewish law, I'm, that person just said, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I was saying this because it, people don't want to face the differences that Sharia is. Yeah. They'll do anything to avoid it. Mm. Well, on, and again, I don't mean this to be flippant. I'm, I'm making a very serious point um, without um, being derogatory to Muhammad or Mohammedans. But here's another point. Why is it that Muslims are forbidden to drink alcohol, but are allowed to drink camel jewelry? (laughs) 
I have never been asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> but we should, since we have an inside joke going here, we need to explain that Muhammad advised the drinking of camel urine as a medicine. And he did this on more than one occasion. So, but I've never, <laughs> I've never heard it put like this. Yes, Muhammad did say that camel urine was a good medicine, but he also said that alcohol is terrible. So, now by the way, there's a verse or two in the Quran which you could sneak up on drinking a little alcohol, but in the end, alcohol is not, is haram. It, it, it is forbidden in Islam. Right. But camel urine, I know. I, I, I find it odd, to say the least. Now, what I'm going to do is sh sh show you a clip. This clip is in London. Um, it is a Muslim conference. In the audience, there are ISIS flags. There are Palestinian flags, Pakistani flags, um, Islamic flags. But I want you to listen to the words of this person, who is an elected politician. He was the minister, one of the ministers. And before I show you, I just want you to understand as well, we had discussion before, Sukuk Finance or Sharia Bonds, they have spent billions in London buying lots of businesses, including our ports, wholesale, um, including the Shard in London, wholesale, including our government buildings, most importantly, one of them is our temporary parliament and our politicians are forbidden under Sharia contract to eat pork in that building or to drink alcohol. Why? Why would they do this? What we see is in the face of Islam, people was, will denigrate themselves. For, for they'll do more to accommodate Islam than they will me or you, I'll tell you that. But hmm, I, I don't have much more to say than that. I just can't believe that they're that gutless to oh, well, accommodate that kind of behavior. And what I'm saying to you is anyone who stands up to that, for example, uh, there is a guy in this country called Tommy Robinson, Dr. Wonderful J. man. I, I agree. Uh, Dr. J. Smith who stands, if, I mean, he does it again. You, you have a particular style. Dr. J. Smith has a particular style. I like and his style. I do. And, he, and not only that, what, what amuses me is he stands on Speaker's Corner, which I actually got banned from, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the strangest possible thing is that he does it to convert um, Islam. Now, I know someone who walked away from Islam he was actually a scholar and, in, uh, uh, and an imam um, who taught in, a, in the uh, Medina um, Mosque University. And he is now under the sentence of death living in this country. He, there are areas of this country he cannot walk through because they'll kill him. So but Islam is the religion of peace. <laughs> well, so they say. And... Um, they do say that. They, they do indeed. So I'm going to show you this clip, uh, and I would love your comments on it. What I'm going to do, hopefully you can hear this. I'm going to run it from uh, the beginning. And again, um, if you just want to, uh, just, if you can just say something so we can, we can see you on screen rather than me. Well, are you, you're in charge of that. 
Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Friends, Assalamu alaikum. I'm going to be relatively brief. You know, it was um, it was Lenin who said that there are there are decades when nothing happens, and then there are weeks when decades happen. And we're privileged that we've lived and live in an era when we've seen weeks when decades have happened. If we look back not that long ago, who would have thought in 2008 the Democratic presidential nominee would be a chap called Barack Obama, whose middle name would be Hussein. Although I'm now Minister for Justice, working alongside the Lord Chancellor, Jack Straw, who sends his good wishes, I was until three weeks ago Minister for International Development. The UK is leading the world in helping the poorest people in the poorest countries around the world. While I was International Development Minister, I was proud that we were able to work with many Muslim countries to help alleviate poverty. And I was the first British Minister to attend the organisation of Islamic Conferences, Islamic Summit. It's also been a privilege working with Islamic Relief, Muslim Aid, Muslim Hands and many others. Come on, a round of applause for the Muslim NGOs. I've worked with these people and others changing lives and saving lives, as I have with Arab donors. This, is, this work has shown the true face of Islam and the donation by Saudi Arabia, the economist called Remarkable, $500 million. My work as International Development Minister has resulted over the next three years with the UK assisting Bangladesh to the tune of £370 million, Pakistan, inshallah, £480 million, Palestine, inshallah, £243 million, Yemen, in excess of £100 million, not to mention Sudan and Somalia. I was also very proud of the fact that I was able to secure £90 million for Pakistan, which inshallah will help to save the lives of 30,000 women and 350,000 children across Pakistan. Martin Luther King once said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And as Justice Minister, I'm determined to make this country an even fairer society. I'm proud of the achievements of the Muslims of this country from 97. In 1997, we got our first Muslim MP. In 2001, we had two Muslim MPs. In 2005, we had four Muslim MPs. Inshallah, in 2009-10, we'll have eight Muslim MPs. In 2014, we'll have 16 Muslim MPs. At this rate, the whole parliament will be Muslim. But you know, we've got four Muslim MPs. There should be 20 Muslim MPs in parliament. And inshallah, very shortly, we'll see that. And I'm confident, as Britain's first Muslim minister, that inshallah, in the next 30 years or so, we'll see a prime minister in this country who happens to share my faith. But I just want to say very quickly, we have some challenges in my current job as Minister of Justice. Over 11% of the prison population is Muslim. 3% of the population in the UK is Muslim. Over 11% of the prison population is Muslim. Today we're showing the true face of Islam, not the face all too often we see in the media. Keep up the good work, you guys and Islam Channel, and inshallah our future in this country is very bright. Thank you very much.
What did you think of that, my friend? Well, I think he dealt the cards face up. I agree, I agree entirely. <laughs> Basically, he is, he is part of a movement to make Britain as Islamic as Saudi Arabia. Exactly. I mean that, and, and he's predicting this. And I must say that as long as Britain stays in the same path that it's on now, which is Islam is just as good a religion as Christianity, then they will, have, they will get just that. Sharia, the Magna Carta will be gone and the Sharia will stand in its place. This is what he's saying, this is what he intends. And I can't help but notice all the millions of pounds that are being given away. Did I understand that correctly? That's what Britain is giving to these countries? Yeah, exactly. Pakistan, right. where yeah. a Christian, if they take drink from a glass of water, they can be persecuted as a blasphemer. We're giving yeah. money to Pakistan. Yeah. Pakistan is not our friend. Oh, it's I agree. Not, Pakistan is not Britain's friend. Pakistan is not United States' friend. We need to understand that. But I do like the fact that, as I say, he dealt his cards face up. We're here to take over the government of the UK, and we're on the path to do so. And I, does Theresa May like this or not like this? I have no idea, but I, I've got a feeling that she wouldn't speak against it, but I'm making that up, I don't really know. What he's saying is, is he's laid out the plan of the Muslim Brotherhood, and, they're, and he also knows this, no matter how outrageous he states this, there will never be any pushback from the media. The London Times is not gonna write anything, but oh great, in another century, United, Britain, Britain will be fully Sharia compliant and part of the Arabia. I mean, would the London Times oppose what he said? I don't think so, because that would be Islamophobia. Mm. Well, I, I, if, we'll finish on, 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 on this if we can. We've mentioned Tommy Robinson and what treasonous May or Theresa May thinks. Our judicial system, our government, um, and the system, the state, is persecuting Tommy Robinson. Um, they've already held him in prison um, for a non-offence. They held him in solitary for several months. He lost stones in weight. Um, they transferred him to a cell opposite um, the prison's uh, mosque, and he had to keep his windows closed. In, 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 in the summer and the temperatures was rising. Um, he lost a hell of a lot of weight. He is now being targeted again. Um, he has had numerous death threats and the government are, instead of helping him, are persecuting him. Um, and I think that should answer the question that in reality, you've seen what's going on and that our government, our parliamentarians, and whoever it is who sits above them, some people refer to it as the deep state, some people say the seventh floor in America, but whoever these people are, they are more than complicit in allowing and arranging this to happen. Tommy Robinson is a political prisoner, pure and simple. What I find going on, and by the way, Although I don't know that May's any worse than Macron or, or Merkel, but neither Merkel or Macron or May seem to be any, have any interest in preserving the very civilization that they're supposedly head of. They're willing to accommodate anything from Islam at all. By the way, I want to say something about, uh, in the United States, we find royalty to be an odd thing because, and yet 
we see that the Brits love their queen and king when they have that one as said. But should not the queen have some, isn't the root, I thought that the royalty was the head of the Church of England. Should she, should she not stand against what is happening to the churches, Christianity in Britain, but instead she sits there silent? Basically what I see is, is that the people who care at the grassroots are being persecuted by those at the top who have all the power and they don't care at all. I, it, the citizenry of Britain is no longer trusted by its government. That's what we see here in America. It's like, you're not trusted. You're not trusted by the government nor anybody else who opposes the government. So this is tragic to me. And Tommy Robinson is a great man and a great hero. He's got more backbone than 99% than of the people that I meet. He's a hero. Oh, I, uh, and I agree uh, with what you just said. Um, again, um, Tommy Robinson, he does it a slightly different way to me as you do it a different way to uh, Jay Smith and uh, Randall Terry. But we're all communicators. And as long as we can reach out and touch people and, and just say, listen, that's all we're asking you to do. And as long as we have got people like you and uh, you, have, you have, have created for us a legacy of knowledge on your website, through your books, and through your study of Islam uh, since you was 30 years old. And I, for one, am very grateful for that. Um, I know that my grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren, will end up being very grateful for men just like you. You're very kind. Thank you. No problem. So on that said, I'm going to say um, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Dr. Bill Warner. And I do hope you'll come back on the channel and, and talk to us again. And we'll go through various subjects. You ask, I respond. It's easy. Just ask me and I'll be there. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much.